Coming up on this week in Google, Joel Johnson from Kotaku.com joins me, Jeff, and Gina. I'm filling in for Leo. He's at NAB. We're going to talk about whether Steve Jobs and Eric Schmidt really came to loggerheads. Also, the new reorganization with Larry Page as the central spider in a web of departments. And talking about the HTC sensation. All that and more coming up. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for This Week in Google is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twig, This Week in Google, episode 90, recorded April 13th, 2011. I ain't nothing but a hound dog. This episode of Twig is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about a business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. And by hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. For Hover's transfer concierge service, free for our audience, go to twig.hover.com and use the offer code TWIG. And by squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to squarespace.com slash twig. It's time for Twig This Week in Google, the show that covers Google, the cloud, everything going on on the internet, your privacy, how how the world around us on the internet is moving into the internet, if that makes any sense. Joining, joining us as always, uh, we're glad to have Gina Trapani from smarterware.org. How you doing, Gina? Great. How you doing, Tom? I am doing well. Oh, I forgot to mention, I am Tom Merritt Milligan for Leo Laporte, <laughs> who's out at NAB uh, doing our great live coverage out there. If you if you want to check out Twit Specials or, or watch it live, good stuff coming out of uh, the National Association of Broadcasters. Really interesting coverage of the gadgets and things that will be bringing you media in the future. And speaking of media, the media maven himself, Jeff Jarvis, BuzzMachine.com. How you doing, Jeff? All right. All right. Just all right. Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, see, I tweaked you into lying. You're yes. giving me a more honest answer to begin with. Good to have you along as well. And joining us uh, as a guest this week, Mr. Joel Johnson, editorial director at Kotaku.com. Uh, you've had that job for about a month now, coming over from Gizmodo. How's it going? Yeah, whole month. Uh, it's it's going. I'm still completely overwhelmed, uh, but uh, I'm doing okay. Like between taking a new job and moving back to New York, it's been it's been a busy month. Yeah, I bet. Well, I, that makes me extra appreciative. You you had the time to join us today. Thanks uh, for doing that. Yeah, no problem. All right, uh, one, one more day left of Twit at NAB, like I mentioned. Uh, if you want to see our, our live coverage, live.twit.tv, uh, we, we finish that up uh, today and tomorrow. We'll have a little coverage tomorrow. Leo's coming back uh, today, so he'll be back for security now and, and shows like that. We're, we're covering a party tonight. Uh, the Heil party, Bob Heil, you may have seen his interview on our Triangulation show, uh, has, has been in the industry for quite a long time. Uh, and, and, and has he brings us the mics that we use right here at, at Twit, uh, so that should be fun to see who shows up there because he's got connections to like Jimi Hendrix and the Grateful Dead, all the best radio broadcasters in the world, and and just it, it should be amazing collection of people. So watch that at live.twit.tv. Let's start off with uh, some news from the world of Apple and Google colliding. Uh, Business Insider reporting that apparently at least according to this book, Eric Schmidt uh, 
had the iPad hidden from him because Steve Jobs was upset about the use of multi-touch, pinch-to-zoom specifically, in Android. That according to Stephen Levy's book, In the Plex. Jeff, do you, do you think this is a... This is a real thing, or is this just trying to sell books? Maybe, but I'm confused. I started to read the posts on this, and, and so the first Android came out without Pinch to Touch, right? Well, yeah. Former Engadget editor Neelai Patel, we're going to have him on Tech News Today later today, right. uh, had a posting up and said, the first Android phone, the G1, shipped in September 2008 without Pinch to Zoom. And in fact, Google didn't add it to their official Android release until the Nexus 1 got it as a software update in February 2010. Right. And I don't know if that's because they felt that they were in some difficult position or what. So that's why I don't know how to really judge this as a result. Well, obviously, I mean, it does bring up that something weird was going on because Google had pinched to Zoom, obviously. They didn't include right. it for a while. They allowed the carriers to add it. Uh, Motorola was adding it on their interface. HTC added it on their interface. And then eventually, February 2010... Uh, if it was a patent issue, they decided it wasn't a big enough patent issue and, and added it to the Nexus One. So, Joel, do you have any insight on, on what's really going on here? Well, I mean, I think at that time, uh, Google was still trying really hard not to piss Apple off too much. Uh, I think it, was, it hasn't really been until the last six months to a year that they've decided that they are full-blown competitors and that they're and that apple has recognized that they're full-blown competitors as well so um that was always the impression i got in the early android days was that google kind of was uh pussyfooting around the whole thing they they figured they were probably okay from a patent perspective but it was worth uh worth being nice to jobs long enough to to not have them completely go on the attack while they were just getting android up and running. So you think it was actually more of a nice, nice situation than a dispute? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think, you know, Jobs and, and Schmidt were still talking. I, I mean, I presume they're still talking today, or, or at least that, uh, that Google and, and Apple are still talking. But in the very beginning, you have to remember, this was still like when I, all of the Android stuff was coming together, this is still uh, Schmidt was on the board of Apple. And, you know, there was, there was still a lot of involvement between the two companies. And, uh, yeah, I, I just think there was a lot of the, those decisions that they made that were sort of token gestures to try to not upset Apple too much while they got Android actually on the market. And now that Android's completely, uh, well, dominating is maybe a little strong, but they're doing really, really well uh, on the phone market. I don't think there's any reason for them to, to really worry about each other anymore. And this idea of Eric Schmidt uh, having the iPad hidden from him by Steve Jobs could just be, you know, good business sense of like, well... You know, we're now, we're now competitors, so we're not going to show you every product in development, even though you're still on the board and you're stepping down from the board. And so, you know, we're not going to bring you into the circle. That, that makes sense, Gina, right? You just rephrase that if, and make it sound more controversial if you want to sell books. Yeah, it's true. And I'm actually I'm really excited. We're going to have Stephen Levy on the show, uh, I think, in, in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure if it's next week or the week after. So we'll get to talk to him a little bit about it. Not showing Schmidt the iPad seems to make sense. The pinch to zoom thing is interesting. I mean, maybe it was just like, uh, like Joel said, they didn't want to piss off Apple right away. There was a lot more involvement. And maybe it was like, we want to see what uh, how our whole story about using the phone with one hand is enough is going to go, you know? Well, that's right. <laughs> I mean, Andy Rubin made that point of, of, of why they didn't have pinch to zoom originally. Right, exactly, exactly. But I think uh, Patel's piece, you know, it was like, 
touchscreen devices, pinch to zoom is just as important as, you know, the screen and the batteries. It's just part of it, right? And uh, maybe that just wasn't clear, you know, what the patent situation was back then, but now, it, but, but, you know, later on, it, they were just willing to, to put it out there and see what, see what happens. Well, yeah. But I'll, be, I'll, I'll be interested to speak to Stephen about it a little more. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be good to talk to, to Stephen and, and say, okay, you know, what, what do you really know about this and, and how, how has it come about? Because, uh, you know, obviously, it, it's a good story. To put out there and get people interested in uh, yeah. in, in looking at, uh, at at the book, but we may be a, a victim of business insider, uh, you know, kind of tweaking this and and pulling it out a little more than than even it is in in the Plex, which is the name of the book, uh, based on two years of research at the company. So he, he Levy obviously knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he spent a yeah, long time embedded in the company. Yeah, they're, they're, you're not going to get a lot of uh, a lot more insight, I think, at this point on that era of Google than this book. Although I still haven't read it, I got a copy last night, but uh, haven't even cracked it open yet. So yeah, yeah once uh, you, once you actually read the book, I mean, obviously that's going to make a difference in how you think this stuff uh, plays out. But it it it, it does. If nothing else, you know, forget the actual controversy of who knew what and why there wasn't pinched to zoom in there. Uh, why hasn't Apple gone after Google for pinch to zoom if if there is you know if they were the first to market with it do they not have a strong enough patent uh, you know it, it's okay it just always comes back to this patent story and it's a fairly obvious thing somebody should patent that story uh, yeah <laughs> and and you know that's that's where we are I, I, I talked to um, a researcher working on on something for us here at CUNY yesterday who, who told me something fascinating he did research with a professor at Reed University on uh, Reed College, whichever it is, on the most influential patents. And by that, they just they, they, they analyzed the citations in the patents. And this guy, Noah, told me that the most influential that they found was the inkjet printer. Because the placing of something physically on exactly that spot is critical in a lot of the development going on today, like 3D printers. You know, you see the kind of development that goes on with, with patents, and, and, and you take, you know, okay, figure it out, boys. You know, figure it out. It, it, it's now become a standard. Is it, is, it, is, it, is the swipe something we wouldn't have thought through? Is, you know, well, we've talked about that before, is the patent on swipe to unlock. Right. Yeah, and and there's, that, there's a blog, uh, what is it, patentlyapple.com, I think, uh, where it's just a list of all of the patents that Apple has put out as they kind of come through the patent system. And it's always mind-blowing to me to look at those because so many of those things are literally like, uh, we've done a patent on uh, the way, where the delete button should be in a certain UI. And uh, the patent system at this point, you know, is structured that you just throw as many patents up on the wall as you can possibly get to stick. Um, but I don't think if you look at the, how many are actually litigated and fought for, it's very, uh, it's very rare. I mean, that's a, because not only do you have the, the chance to, or you have to spend a lot of money to litigate it, you also have the opportunity to lose the patent or have the patent uh, be revoked, uh, which is risky too. So it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, definitely a cold war. Yeah, there's, a, there's a, a bit of brinksmanship to defending your patents where, you know, you're sitting on a pile of patents and they're sitting on a pile of patents and you agree, well, we, we'll, we'll pay the difference in our pile's height to settle this out of court, essentially. In fact, I've, somebody was telling me, and I wish I could remember who, uh, that they, they've been in patent meetings like that where they brought in 
piles of documentation huh. and measured them and said, okay, we've, <laughs> oh my we've got about two inches more. Let's, let's negotiate a rate for that. That is insane. Yeah. Ugh. Is that not the way it's supposed to work? <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't seem like the best I, way for it to work, but call I me do crazy. everything, like every legal transaction I do, I do by weight. So like <laughs> when I pay for things, I like, I always pay in coins because it weighs a lot more and it's, it's really hard to convince people to, to let me do it, but I have a patent for it. So right, it, right. it works out. <laughs> so you'll be protected. When you, yeah. when you talk to your lawyer, uh, what, what, what's your pound rate? How much? How much do you charge per ounce? All right. Uh, well, I, you know, I think this. I think this is an interesting story that people are fascinated with because Eric Schmidt was on the board of Apple and then he had to leave. And and people wonder, well, Steve Jobs, he's a prickly guy. Is he upset that Google got into the phone business and are now the direct competitors, not only to uh, iPhone but also iPad uh, to iOS? Uh, is it a friendly rivalry or not? What do you guys think? It's really hard to read those guys. I mean, like Jobs in particular is, is and you know, I, I, don't, I don't know him at all. I know him just as well as anybody else does, which is just through the news. But he strikes me, the, all the anecdotes about him, and, and if you go to folklore and read even early Apple days, uh, you know, he he's definitely has a reputation for ha being vindictive and being kind of a seething uh, sort, of, sort of guy. So I'm sure that he was incredibly pissed about Schmidt. I mean, that's, that's why he asked him to leave, ultimately. And, and even when Schmidt was around, he was supposedly recusing himself during discussions of iPhone development and things like that once Android was, was out uh, and, and known. But by the same token, you know, there was uh, shots of, of Jobs and Schmidt out having uh, coffee like a year ago. So, you know, I, I don't think it's... I, don't, I think for as much anger as there may be, it's that sort of business anger. Like they want to get back at each other and, and they want to be as successful as possible. But uh, I don't think that they're not communicating, uh, at least up until the point that Apple can completely replace Google and all of their product lines through search and maps and the whole schmear, which, you know, they're, they're, they're messing around with, but that's a big, uh, it's a big bite to, to chew. You know, what I find interesting here is that I've been arguing that the next frontier of the fight in our world is between Google and Facebook over who's the best signal generator, who's going to find the most signals of what we want and who we are and what we're looking for and so on to be able to target services and content and then of course advertising to us. So in that sense, Google being in mobile to me pits them most against Facebook. But Google being in phones pits them against Apple in the hardware world. And the argument these days is that what Apple really is, is a retail company. And they're the best damn retail company there is. They make more per square foot in stores than most anybody out there. And they do it in amazing ways and they involve us. And so, I, I, you know, apart from the obvious line of who has the bigger platform, Apple or um, Google and Android, what I have a hard time getting my head around is where's the real battlefield there? Where's the real battlefield between AOL, I mean, pardon me, uh, Apple and... Uh, There's no battle there. Freudian slip. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I, and I mean, if you look at the, the amount of real money that's being made, uh, Google is still an advertising company and Apple is still a products company. But, which is why if you, have, if you ever have any sort of discussion about... Um, 
will the will Android kill iPhone or will uh, the, or vice versa? It's 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 a useless discussion because they as long as they, they they generate their money in different ways. So as long as they're both relatively successful, uh, right. neither one is going to win out. Win out. Yeah, and I, I'm actually very glad that that is the case uh, because it means more competition and they push each other, uh, and and hopefully both will will stay afloat and in and in these these markets because I want to see. I want to see more platforms. I want to see BlackBerry OS come back. I want to see WebOS succeed. I want to see people nipping at each other's heels, uh, pushing them to be more innovative and coming up with uh, new and better ways for us to benefit when we use our phones. Absolutely. Right. It's, it, I mean, it seems like the, the battle between Apple and Google is really this like platform for selling things, right? Like a store, a way, a way to sell stuff. Not just products, ads. I mean, Google has, you know, does ads a lot better than Apple does, but Apple has the App Store and the iTunes Store, and Google is, you know, certainly lagging behind in the, in the Android market. But um, I completely agree. Competition is a good thing. I want to see more, more of it, more seething <laughs> competition. Yeah. Whether it's a faux business thing or it's like they really hate one another. I'll take either one. <laughs> You know, I totally agree. When it, when it, when you get to the end, what you want to see are are situations that are created for different types of people because not everybody uses their phone the same way. So if you've got enough competition and enough different platforms, you've got a platform that's really good for somebody who uses their phone in a casual way and just wants to do some social networking. You've got a, a phone that's good for somebody who's very productive and uses it in a business way. You've got a phone for the tweaker, the geek who wants to just mess around and see what he can make the phone do. Uh, and and that that's the ideal is when it's not about being a fanboy and saying my operating system wins. It's about having different operating systems that suit different kinds of users. Yep. Google's got a major reorganization. They're going to be doing what they do in a different way. Uh, this has to do with Larry Page taking over as CEO. Uh, his first big act is to change who's in charge of what. Sundar Pichai is now Senior Vice President of Chrome. Uh, Vic Gundotra is SVP of Social. Andy Rubin gets a promotion to SVP of Mobile. Uh, Salar Kamangar, SVP of YouTube and Video. And Alan Eustace, uh, SVP of Search. And then I also heard that uh, Susan Wachicki, uh, SVP of Ads. I apologize to all of them for mangling their names. <laughs> I'm not sure if I pronounced everything correctly. Uh, but uh, the idea is now they have core product areas. Uh, and they've got people in charge of things like Chrome, like Android, uh, or, or mobile, uh, YouTube and video. And everything comes up through those people, and then those people talk to Larry Page. It's a more centralized organization. What's, what's the theory behind this, uh, Gina? Do you, do you have an idea of why they would reorg this way? Well, I think I think the the company line is they're trying to break down the sort of co the, the committees that you have to go through and get approval for from in order to launch a product and make the make innovation happen faster and easier. And this is a challenge in all big companies, right? I mean, Page just kind of took took the helm. So, and this is this this kind of thing normally happens when when you've got someone new in charge, kind of do this you know shake up reorg, kind of re-energize the company. These are all names we all know. Put them in charge of product. I, I honestly I, I don't pay too much attention to Google's executives, but Vic and Dotra is is um, was you know was at I/O last year. He's super charming, and I thought he was a really interesting choice to be in charge of uh, social. I think he was he in charge of mobile before. I'm not sure. I, I thought he was more focused on mobile yes. before. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a that's that's a really interesting choice. Something that I'm I'm happy about because I really I really like uh, Vic. He kind of won my heart at, at I/O last year. So it'd be interesting to see. But th this just sounds like this is Larry saying. This is the way it's going to work now that I'm in charge, and we're going to we're going to make stuff. Uh, we're going to be a little more innovative and get stuff out the door a little more fast, you know, faster and more efficiently. 
Yeah, I think that it's interesting to me that there is someone that senior and well-respected in the company in charge of social when Google basically still doesn't have a social strategy, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, and uh, local, I think, is very important in this whole sig mobile signal generation thing. Some people are saying that Marissa Mayer got uh, uh, passed over for that, but I don't think so because he's not a senior VP and hasn't been. And she has her areas of specialization. I think because she's so popular, people expected to see her name amongst these other names they recognize, like Andy right. Rubin and Vic Gondotra. Right, exactly. But I think that that's, you know, she, she would have been jumped up a, a quantum leap in the organization. Um, you know, I, I just did a Skype talk with Siva Vodafian's class at University of Virginia, and, and he asked me what I would have changed in my fanboy book uh, in the two years since it's out. I so said the main thing is I don't think that I fully grappled with the notion of Google's size, its bigness, uh, and how that's affected uh, so much about the company, including you know it's the people who go after it in Europe and so on, including the difficulty of grow, continuing to grow at a rapid pace when you are so big, uh, the culture around it of what people think of when you're that big, but also more important than anything else, and Eric Schmidt always said this, it's the biggest challenge within Google. And uh, Gina's right, things had to go through committees and then the committee on top and the triumvirate. Uh, yet, ironically, you'd think that would have caused great integration and right hand would have known what left hand is doing, but that's not the case. You know, we have Android and Chrome OS and things like that. And given that Larry's new to the job, I think it's very smart to surround himself with a very strong structure because the triumvirate was a strong structure, and now he needs that structure. So this is, you know, by all appearances, good management. I, uh, you know, I'd be curious whether he has consultants now too, or you know, is a McKinsey hanging around? God help us. Um, but uh, I think we'll know a lot more uh, when we start seeing new products come out of the company. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's, that's been, that's, uh, Microsoft has gone through this, well, I mean, they're still kind of going through it. Uh, Sony went through this for several years and is still going through it. Uh, and, and it seems like Google just in the last maybe three or four years started to hit that, that morass of being like too big and, and, and doing a lot of these half-baked projects. Uh, that was always my biggest fear with Android, and, and I think they've, you know, they've, they've fixed it largely. But uh, my biggest fear with Android coming out of the gate was it was half-baked. It wasn't ready. It, were, it wasn't as polished as, it, as I felt like it should have been. And if Google would have managed Android like they've managed most of their other projects over the last three or four years, uh, it would probably be killed already. Um, so I think as, as you see a faster rate of innovation within Google, but also wedded to a larger, longer product plan. Um, I'm thinking of things like Google TV, which is just completely stillborn, uh, which is, but is a good idea. And, and, and if they commit to it, could really do something with it. I think over the next you know 12 months or so, if we start seeing a, a bunch of products come out and they have a weight to them and they feel like there's something that Google's really behind and will continue to be behind and iterate on, then I think it'll be a sign that this reorg you know, makes sense. Otherwise, it's just, it's, uh, what, do you, what do you call shifting the deck chairs when the ship isn't going down? Just shifting the deck chairs. So. It's called rearranging the deck chairs when the Titanic is going down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what, yeah. Um, I don't know if there's what? a shorter way to say it. But it's well, an but, right. but, but I think, I think, Joel said the Titanic ain't going down here. It's just they're, they're, they're redecorating the deck. <laughs> right. Uh, they're shifting the deck chairs on the X cruise that's going through the Bahamas. Which well, let me, let me ask you this. What do you think that uh, uh, that they should kill? What areas should they ban? Part of what happened was with 20% and all that, they got into all kinds of new areas 
and you know they moved um, stuff around a bit. But but are there are there things that Google is in that don't make sense for them to be in? I mean, I always and and I don't think I'm not I'm not good at business. That's why I you know work for other people. Um, but I always like Google the most when they are dabbling in areas where you wouldn't expect them to be. True. Um, uh, you know, I like Google being the company that's full of super geeky, super scientists and engineers who have the ability to experiment as long as they can eventually tie it back into the greater Google advertising system. So uh, all the automated car stuff, which is uh, something that, I mean, that, that was of all the projects last year that I think that just came out of nowhere. And then I looked at it and was just like, oh, they they did it. This thing that I was supposed to take another two or three decades, Google's looks like they pretty much got it cracked. Um, and so those kind of things I love to see Google do because they have the engineering acumen to go out there and, and take really big, really big leaps and, and try to come up with ideas that are completely uh, out of left field for, for a you know essentially a services company. But um, they have to, again, when they choose to do those things, they have to continue to move forward with them. And I think so that the outlying stuff, the investment in energy and all of that stuff is, is, is really good. And I, and I hope they continue to do that. But internally, they have a pretty uh, like, you know, I, I can't say there's been a lot of effort in their core products uh, outside of search. Search has, has, has continued to evolve in a pretty logical way. But, you know, I use Gmail and GDocs and, and all that stuff every day. And uh, there's nothing that's really blown my mind about or, or impacted my life uh, in the way that Gmail did when it first came out. Uh, I, you know, there hasn't been anything iteratively within the product that's been amazing in years. So I hope that they, they kind of go back to some of those, those old hits and, and revitalize those too. Hmm. I, you know, I'd have to disagree with you on that. You know, I, I follow Gmail and, and Docs development because this, kind of, this is kind of my thing is just follow along with all the little features. And I feel like they're constantly adding new little features or labs features. And uh, do, 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 I mean, Google Docs just recently, you can upload files, you can share videos within Docs. Gmail just oh. actually, this is my tip this week, they launch a bunch of little fixes. I mean, they're all super minor. I mean, none of them are like mind-blowing, like you've got 10 terabytes of storage forever, which is kind of what it felt like when it first, you know, when Gmail first first launch, but I feel like I the product's pretty active. I, I completely cop to the fact that I'm asking for something that is nebulous. Like I'm saying, I want to be wowed and I don't know what that would be, you know, and that's, right. and that's completely unfair. And I, and I mean, I acknowledge that, but I'm just saying that there to me and Gmail is the one that I, I mean, I use it all the time and I, and I switch off to hosted mail and I do all these other things and I always end up coming back to Gmail. But I, I still remember vividly the difference between Gmail and all the competitors and how it actually made the amount of time I spend in my life in email so much better uh, when it launched. I'm just saying I, I feel like nothing, maybe the sum total of all the improvements over the last however long it's been, six years, seven years, have, have gotten, you know, have cumulatively been that transformative. But uh, I, I still feel like I was hoping there's a lot more like human intelligence stuff that I feel like Google could be doing maybe better than any uh, other company uh, or, or artificial intelligence, I, I guess, is with like the things that they do with priority inbox, for instance. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like there's all of this social stuff that Facebook is getting ready to smash uh, in Google's, like just completely steal the ball away from Google, um, where 
I don't want to use Facebook mail that as my mail. That seems really weird to me. I guess I'm just old enough that the idea that I would communicate with everybody on Facebook is strange. But there are a lot of really smart things that Facebook does about presenting and, and lifting information that I find pretty accurate that I'm still amazed that Google, for as much information as they have about me, aren't exposing in my daily life. Or if they are exposing it, it's it's... They're hiding it so much uh, in the background of the algorithm that it's hard for me to recognize what a good job they're doing. I think all of these companies uh, are struggling with, with a, an old, old problem, which is when you begin, you know, when you're Sergey and Larry in 1999, putting your algorithm out there that's like, this wows people. Look how fast Google is. Or when, you, or when you're Ev uh, and, and, and Biz... Uh, and, and you're putting up Twitter and you're like, you know, take a look at it. Once you use it for a while, you really get it. It's, it's fun and it's easy to bust out of all of these things that hold back larger companies. But once you get big and once you have a lot of, right. a lot of people, uh, it's, it's harder to move. And they're all trying to figure out, they're all taking different approaches to recapturing that startup feel in a large organization. Facebook does it by limiting their hires and they try to keep right. developer teams very small. This is Google's attempt here is saying, well, let's, let's try to recapture that startup feel by creating business divisions that have a clear head and, and we can all point to one particular direction. Because in the past, that 20% time has just been, you know, and, and I'm using that very loosely, but th that sort of innovative spirit has just been kind of widespread and they subscribed loosely to the idea of fail faster and they failed very fast in a lot of things except for search. Search has been their cash cow that allows them to experiment. And I, I think this is Larry saying, hey, look, look, we've got some good stuff going on here. We've got Google Docs is, is coming along well. Gmail is, is, is got widespread adoption and is very good. Let's try to come up with those things that are going to move it faster and make it feel like a startup and wow the Joel Johnsons of the world in, in ways that they didn't expect. You know, I that wonder whether really the goes. best business model you could come up with is just wowing me. That's my consultant pitch for <laughs> That's That actually is my pitch to VCs, anyone yeah. listening right now. That's, that's my business plan. I and also, the, maybe this is very unfair, but I, I, I always thought Eric Schmidt um, was super creepy. Um, and I don't know if he just had a knack for putting his foot in his mouth a lot, but it was definitely Eric Schmidt who would say the things that made me scared of Google as, a, as opposed to... Uh, you know, the founders. So uh, I'm kind of glad to see him on his way out because I like, and again, this is, this is a, a very cartoonish at best, but I like the idea of Google being a home for engineers and a home for people that want to really innovate. And I felt like Schmidt often was uh, represent, representative of the Google that was going to take all of that trust that we'd put in them in their founding years and monetize it in really skeevy ways. So uh, maybe he's the nicest guy in the world. Maybe that was just all accident uh, on, you know, on, that he's not, he says stupid things sometimes, but I'm, I'm glad to see a founder back in the chair and like move forward with it. It kind of well, feels, it could I'm be like gonna, a Steve I'm Jobs not disagree thing. with you, but Joel, I'm not going to disagree with you about having a founder back in the chair, but I will disagree with you about, about Schmidt. I, I've gained a, a, a lot of respect for him. Uh, over time, and and I think that as a geek, you of all people should understand that geeks' sense of humor is get misinterpreted. So I don't think he says so much creepy things as he has a sense of irony, and that doesn't often hold up and doesn't go. I think he did a hell of a job training Larry and getting the company in the position where it is. And I, I even wonder whether this organization is not about getting back the startup spirit, but whether it's about a, a company finally acting like a big company. 
And, you know, you consider how fast you have to be able to change now. I, I, I think the death of the flip camera is uh, that Cisco killed this week is uh, breathtaking in the speed of a company from zero to hot company to dead company and product in four years, um, which is, you know, a third of Google's lifespan. And Google's basically had three lives, search company, ad company, now mobile company. Um, you, you know, uh, I, I think they've been remarkable and they've stayed up there, but I wonder whether or not, you know, they're vulnerable for the next change. So far, they haven't been. But I still, I still will defend Eric. I think that Eric uh, did a great job. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody is uh, impugning Eric's integrity uh, here. And, and he's still there, right? He's still an executive yeah. chairman for whatever that means. Uh, a, a lot of people think that Larry Page, not so good with dealing with the government, not so good necessarily with dealing with the public. And maybe Eric will still continue to fill those roles, especially that role of dealing with the government, uh, which is a more important role than ever for Google uh, because they have huge lobbying interests that they're not filling. You know, everybody likes to complain about lobbyists, but when you're a company that doesn't have them, you get stomped because everybody else does have them. Uh, so, you, you know, Eric Schmidt, I guess, is becoming the lobbyist-in-chief in this situation uh, where, where Larry is focusing on, okay, I've, I've learned from you, Eric, and I think I know what to do. This is the way I'm going to make that organization. It does put a lot of pressure on him, though. He is at the center of this hub, and, and folks are comparing him to Steve Jobs and saying, you know, he's going to be involved in all of these departments mm -hmm. uh, at a very hands-on level. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think we have every reason to. The thing that I think will be confusing now is that I, I, I somehow still doubt that Larry is going to be a very public face of Google. Uh, and, and, and Joel, you're right that, 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 that Eric stuck his foot in his mouth or had his foot shoved into his mouth uh, again and again and again. Uh, but Larry, we haven't seen publicly at all. And it's going to be hard to imagine at some point he's going to have to be. He's the CEO now. And that's going to be a really interesting transition to see how much he seems to be wants to seem to be the man in charge. One of the first things uh, he'll be overseeing is the acquisition of ITA Software, which uh, Caroline McCarthy over at CNET's The Social Blog reports is now closed. Uh, the deal was approved by the Justice Department. Uh, you may have read that the Justice Department filed suit against Google. That's their way of approving it. Uh, that, that's the way these things work, is, is when the DOJ wants to object and put in conditions for approval. They file suit and say, we're going to block this unless these conditions are met. Uh, so now it's, it sounds like uh, Google has agreed to the conditions and announced uh, that it has reached a settlement uh, not, with the Department of Justice. And ITA software will go ahead. It, uh, $700 million, done deal. Uh, Google has, up, has added an update yesterday that said our acquisition of ITA has now closed, which means that they will operate ITA and be able to benefit from all the data ITA does in the travel industry. If you're not familiar with them, what they do is, is uh, gather fair information uh, and then provide a feed of that information to various different companies. And Google is going to have several restrictions on them of what they can do with that company over the next five years. They'll be required to continue to license the QPX software. That's the software that airfare websites use. Uh, they'll have to license it on commercially reasonable terms. Uh, Google will also be required to continue to fund research and development of QPX, at least at similar levels to what ITA has invested up till now. 
And Google will also be required to further develop and offer ITA's next-generation InstaSearch product uh, that had been in develop, uh, development. And uh, Google will be required to implement firewall restrictions within the company that prevent unauthorized use of competitively sensitive information. So if Kayak is giving a bunch of information to ITA in order to facilitate a feed to them of fair information. Google can't take that information and go, hey, that's a good idea. Let's, imp let's implement that in search. What, what is Google going to get out of this? Gina, do you have an idea of, of what, they might, what products we might see and, and, and what ways they'll be able to make use of this? Uh, so they, I mean, they just want to return the kind of results that that Kayak does for travel travel search results. Uh, show me all the flights under five hundred dollars leaving for Puerto Rico, you know, tomorrow. Uh, and actually, I was curious to know what 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 do you all use? What search search engine do you all use to find um, flights when you're when you need to travel? I, I use Kayak. I generally go to Kayak first. Yeah, I, I use I default to Kayak, and then I, for, for some reason I've been like a. I had like one really amazing uh, customer service experience with the Orbits like three or four years ago. And so often I just go back to them. But if I'm trying to actually turn something around really fast, I tend to use Kayak. Yeah, I use Expedia still only because it's habit. But, but the truth is I, I, I fly out of Newark. So I'm basically stuck with uh, Continental come United now. No matter what, so I end up going to the site to do it because I had my. Well, yeah, that was my first there. thought too. Is like, right. it's tr as good as this might be for business, and as good as it might be for for Google uh, from a revenue standpoint, I can't see this affecting uh, real people uh, all that much until something about fair search and uh, and all this indexing actually changes the airlines themselves. Because, right. you know, uh, unfortunately, the problem with all of this really great uh, search indexing and fair indexing and all of that stuff is it just continues to drive prices down, which is uh, that's that's great for, you know, the individual consumer purchasing things right at that moment. But it's also why we have the tops of airplanes ripping off because the industry continues to, you know, shave as much uh, uh, as much money as they can out of it. So, um, you know, I, I feel like this is. We won't see. It would be much more interesting if Google was uh, pulling a Branson and deciding to open their own airline uh, or or do some sort of travel thing that actually involved physical travel. But you know, I don't think that's super likely for them. Well, I, you know, I I think that more transparency of pricing is a good thing, and I think that Google being involved in this will tend to lead to more transparency because they don't own an airline, and so I think that's good for consumers. Whether or not um, airlines inspect their planes is an entirely different issue, for, you know, for the FAA. I once asked Sergey about uh, an airline because when I was writing what will Google do, I said that I, I speculated about the idea of a Googly airline, the social airline, and he laughed and said that a friend of his had started an airline uh, based on that in um, somebody he knew in Brazil, but it went out of business when the entire crew was arrested for smuggling drugs. Um, <laughs> That's I, I, that's one way of making use of social. Yeah, well, yeah, we're such good friends. We're gonna be uh, partners in crime. Well, you know, right now airlines keep us prisoner. At least if they gave us drugs, we might be happier on, <laughs> on, on, online. The the other thing that I think comes that becomes really disruptive in the airline industry. I ran a a session on the social airline in at the DLD conference in Munich in January with Lufthansa. And people like Scoble were there, because Scoble's everywhere. And um, as we went through it, what fascinated me, there was a story about six months ago, some passengers on, on KLM wanted to go to a, uh, from Amsterdam to a, um, 
music festival in Miami, and there wasn't a direct flight, and so they petitioned KLM on Twitter saying, we, we want you to get a flight for us. And KLM said, okay, if you get 315 people, we'll put a flight on for you. And in five hours, they did. Now, what's fascinating about that is airlines are supply-driven. What if airlines became demand-driven? So like eventful if, for airlines. Well, exactly. Uh, or, or, and, the, and the Lufthansa people who were there said, well, we do already have a private air thing, but it doesn't scale very big. But imagine if um, lots and lots of people from San Diego said, we're all going to South by Southwest, and there's no really good direct flight to Austin. Hello? Well, if suddenly Google sees a lot of searching by people in Austin to go to, in, in, in San Diego to go to Austin, what does that tell them? What's the value of that? Now, you get all kinds of issues in airlines of having slots and all that kind of stuff. But if you, if you imagine just a little bit here what travel could be like if it were demand-driven, if it were a little bit um, less risk, less of fixed cost, uh, more flexibility, uh, that becomes really, really interesting as a disruptor in the industry. And if you think about it, Google could be in that position where they might know more about demand, just like they know more about flu than the doctors. Right. They may well know more about interest in destinations from locales than anybody. See, that's really, that's super fascinating. I hadn't heard about that KLM flight. That's, that's I don't know, that made me happy for some reason. I, I really yeah, like that. And, and, they, I, and I, I think that's the same reason that, uh, that Google's messing around with this automated car thing, because if you, if you, Think of uh, surface travel as a, like essentially a packetized system. If they can start, uh, you know, not just automating the cars, but knowing where the cars are, knowing what the demand levels are for the cars, knowing you know who's in the, what cars at what time, all of this stuff. And of course, this is pretty, you know, being able to drive down the highway in a test car is a long way from having the entire uh, American auto fleet, you know, wired up to be autonomous, but. You can, it's the same sort of thing. All of a sudden, Google, they could give away all of this routing stuff to all of the auto manufacturers and then knowing uh, where people are going, all, it, it gets, it gets, it all, it's all intertwined. It brings you back to the local stuff. It brings you back to how people are spending time, how it, you, know, you can save energy, which is sort of like a, a backdoor right. thing, but it's still a positive. Uh, yeah, this, all of a sudden, I'm realizing that Google uh, you know, messing around in travel is a lot, uh, not as far flung as, as I had, had first thought. Well, and, and now that I've gone too far, I'll, of course, this is my want to go even farther. Part of what we said at this Lufthansa thing was, was, that, was that, you know, the, the seat is a commodity. It's long been a commodity, and we're a prisoner there. And if you had this demand-driven thing, a company could come along and say, listen, I'm going to buy bulk seats from Lufthansa or Continental or United, and, uh, but I, I'm going to take care of your entire experience. I'm going to get you to the airport and from the airport, and I'm going to help you decide where to stay. I mean, the old-time travel agent, in a way, right. comes back, but in a, in a bulk buy way, so that you just, <laughs> the, the airline seat is the commodity that gets here as long as the service is good enough. That's not where the brand is. The brand may be in Joel's Travel Wonderland. It'd be and Airbnb, but with a focus on the air. Right. <laughs> yeah, good. And then... You know, you go to Google and you think that there are, are things like getting me, you know, what, what's my automated car? In that car, have you programmed it with my music? Did you pick the kind of car that I would like to drive me there? You just log uh, in with your, with your uh, Google ID and it's got all of your, your specifications, your preferences. Right, and we know you're landing at noon, Mr. Jarvis, and you do like Chipotle, and we know where the nearest one is. We'll just take you there automatically. 
<laughs> and we'll have your order ready for you. Thank it's you actually in the car when you get yes. it. Yes, yes, exactly. The margarita with the Patron. That was a real cool transition to Chipotle, huh, folks? It huh? was. Huh? That was smooth, really smooth. Yeah. So I love all these ideas. I, I, I love this. I really love this. And in the long term, it's really cool. The possibilities are really cool. But in the short term, if you're kayak or you're hip monk or you, you do travel search, doesn't this kind of stink? I mean, Google's the best search engine out there. If you do travel search and now that, now that they own the software, I know that you know, they made this deal where they have to set up, you know, that they, they, they can't, that people are going to be able to extend their contract and they're still going to provide this data to other people and all, and all this kind of thing. It's still like, Oh, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm not going to go in a travel search now. Well, that's why the Fair deal. Search Organization was created to oppose this. And they actually have some ideas that they've won in this. I want to get to those in a second, uh, though. Uh, speaking of product placement, Jeff, we should take a break and uh, thank one of our sponsors here. Squarespace, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. It's really simple. If you want to start a blog, this is the way to go. Squarespace.com uh, is, the, is, the, is the place to go. Slash Twig, if you want to support This Week in Google, and get a 14-day free trial. You don't have to use a credit card to sign up, and you will have your... You could have your site up and running by the time I'm done telling you about this. It's so simple. Easy-to-use UI, optimized for both beginners and CSS experts, HTML experts, folks who know what they're doing can get under the hood and tweak things. But the nice thing for those of us who do know what we're doing is you don't have to do that all the time. You can use the template to create a website and then go in and just tweak the couple of things you need to. You don't have to go through the tedium of it. They've got all kinds of, of, of template that you, can, that you can tweak around and play with. They've got a form builder. You can collect email addresses and other information from visitors. Website tracking, a built-in search engine optimizer. Talk about tedious. Going through and, and, and doing SEO, forget about it. Squarespace does it for you. Permission access handling, cloud architecture for speed and site stability, and an innovative drag-and-drop Ajax interface. Even an iPhone app, so you can log into the, uh, to the iPhone app and uh, update your blog on the go. Why not give it a try and help support Twig Go to squarespace.com slash twig, and we thank Squarespace for their support of This Week in Google. So I mentioned Fair Search. Uh, that was an organization put together by some of these companies like Kayak, but also Microsoft was in there as well. And one of the things that they opposed to uh, was the idea of, of Google having this information and, and, and incorporating it into search. But one of the reasons they think they've succeeded in this, even though Google gets to acquire ITA, is the DOJ had to sniff around Google some more, and they think that... The DOJ is going to be doing more sniffing around now and possibly going after Google in other areas of, uh, and particularly search. Do you think that's going to happen, Gina? Are they going to go after them? Interesting. If this organization is uh, happy about it, that's very interesting. I mean, everybody mm -hmm. likes to claim victory, but yeah, they were saying this is a victory for us. It, it put restrictions on Google, and most of all, the Department of Justice is now familiar with what Google's up to. Right, and this is similar to the the, the privacy, uh, the FTC, yeah, you know, the privacy mandate that they're going to be checking in on on Google every every year, every two years for the next twenty years to make sure that they're enforcing um, privacy uh, policies well. So, um, interesting, interesting see, to see if yeah, anything I, else comes of that. I'm a little. I mean, I, I would be very curious to know where they got that information, or if it's just wishful thinking, because the DOJ and the FTC tend to be extremely opaque about those investigations while they're happening. 
uh, or or before they've announced anything officially. Um, at least, at least you know, uh, in my world, like I, I know I've spent a lot of time uh, hearing hearing those rumors and then trying to get them confirmed, and and it's really hard to get that information. So it, uh, that almost sounds a little fuddy to me. Like they're saying, you know, it, like it kind of justifies why they had to call in the big guns and create this organization is to say, you know, it's not just this one thing, it's all sorts of other things. So Yeah, they're not I, trying it, to it, say there to say. is an, uh, an investigation going on. They're sort of implying it uh, because of the other investigations. we got one in Texas. Uh, we got other attorneys general still going after Google for, for the uh, Street View Wi-Fi collection. Uh, you, but, but you've got that antitrust uh, thing going on in Texas. You've got some European commission looking in, and they're, they're hoping, I think, more than knowing. Yeah. We don't know if Google has stopped beating its wife or not, but it'd be good to find out. Yeah, exactly. Jeff, do you think there's anything to this? Do you think the DOJ would go after Google, or is, is, is that just wishful thinking? Yeah, I think it's wishful thinking, or it's, or it's an attempt to, to uh, scrape victory from defeat. Um, you know, the problem I have these days is that why is Google treated constantly as if it's a bad guy? I, I had this discussion with Siva before about the, the Buzz FTC decision, which I, I went a little bit overboard on the last twig, but I still find that a one-time mistake fixed over a weekend, is that worth, you know, putting you in, on probation for 20 years? Is, was, the, was the violation of trust that huge? Uh, I, I think we just, I come back to this all the time, and it's, and it's probably the problem with Google's size is that size brings mistrust. Yeah, in fact, uh, Google's search share has been declining very slowly, uh, but the new Hitwise numbers are out, and Bing, if you count Yahoo and Bing together, makes up 30% of the search market, uh, and Google makes up just, just shy, you know, just around 65% or so. Uh, and then, then, of course, you've got or ask.com and the others like them uh, trailing behind. But Bing is making some inroads. Yeah, and I think that, you know, in the U.S. particularly, that's highly competitive. In, in, in Europe, in Germany, Google search remains over 90%, which is ironic since the Germans go crazy on Google. Um, that almost so, may be why, right? Because it's 90%. Yeah. Well, but the people are making it that big. Uh, and, and government media go after it. So, so, yeah, I think we can be fairly well assured that the FTC and the DOJ and the FCC are all going to try to make points and score points by keeping an eye on Google, because Google's just so big. The other thing we forget about sometimes, Google owns YouTube. Uh, YouTube getting into the live streaming business. This past Friday, they launched YouTube Live. You can go uh, check it out at youtube.com slash live. Uh, they've got trusted partners uh, that they're partnering with these days. So uh, featured live events have featured a lot of Indian cricket. Uh, Coachella was going to be live. Ad Tech, the conference uh, here in San Francisco, had a lot of live streams from there. And then they've got other partners uh, like Revision 3 and, and other uh, video production companies that are, that are putting on live events. This, this sort of positions them between Ustream and Hulu and Netflix somewhere. It's not... Anybody can get on and broadcast any time, but it's also, you know, it's, it's not Hollywood. These are, these are more independent video providers. Tom, do where's, you have any inside information? Is Twit going to go on this? Yeah, where's Twit? I have no idea. I have no inside <laughs> information. 
You're, 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 you're talking to the best protected source Twit could ever have. <laughs> <laughs> My reaction to the story was immediate indignance that Twit wasn't listed. So YouTube people, get on that. <laughs> yeah, see, that, that, maybe that's why uh, Leo couldn't do Twig this week. He didn't want to huh? answer these questions. Seriously. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you know Leo. He's always keeping all those secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's very good at that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really can't speak to that. I have, I have no idea what, what the Leo's position is about putting us on YouTube Live. I can't imagine we wouldn't want to be on there, uh, at, at least eventually. Uh, but this is something where I, I've definitely uh, been interested in taking some of the things I do outside of Twit and putting them on here. But I'm not in there yet because I'm alone, not a big enough partner. So it, it is interesting, right? I mean, not every single indie is on YouTube Live. Uh, some of them are, and a lot of them are, aren't usual suspects right they're not live production companies they're 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 doing specific live events for youtube live but this is this is this is an interesting procedure for youtube to follow in order to compete with a netflix or a hulu because don't forget hulu was put into place to crush youtube because at the time the industry had convinced itself that youtube was the threat because of all of the pirated video and it turns out that's not why YouTube was successful. That was part of it. People did like that aspect of it, but people did like to see other folks' stuff, whether it was, you know, the typical cat riding a skateboard or, or whether it was Fred or, or Lonely Girl or, or these other independent uh, productions. So I, I think it's been a long time in the making that we would have YouTube do a live service it's interesting that they're picking their partners, though. It's, it's more of a Google go slow approach. Let's, let's iterate. Let's put it out there slowly and see how it does. Yeah, that's definitely I, how it strikes me. I think it's going to be really... Um, I mean, I, I think live video streaming it has been around long enough that we've seen most of the real interesting things that you can do with it. But I, I, I think the best thing for me is the idea that for a lot of people... I'm guessing, but I would think for the mainstream audience, uh, a lot of people are still just viewing, they, they think video online is YouTube. So the idea of having live right. streaming, especially once it can come to mobile devices, um, like I, I'm, not, I, I'm not particularly wedded to uh, watching something live for the most part, I mean, it, it, depending on what it is, um, because part of the nice thing about the internet for me is that I don't have to, or, or DVRs or all of that stuff, I can watch it when I want to. But um, from a news standpoint, I, I just instantly think of things like Libya and Syria and Bahrain and all of these things that are happening where uh, if it becomes more of a platform thing and it's very common and it's on, you know, all these throwaway phones in another, you know, three or four years, the idea that um, I think I think it'll change the way that we engage with the public for in political ways. I, I think like Jacob Applebaum keeps getting like harassed at the borders uh, because of the work that he did for WikiLeaks. And I just really like the idea of like him being able to flip open a camera and, you know, and and have it there, which is, all, again, all stuff you can do with Ustream. It's all stuff that you can do with other services. But I think that, that if this a platform as big as YouTube uh, and as and we'll get it out into places that it hasn't been before, and maybe kind of give it the boost that it has needed, because uh, I feel like it's been a little bit haphazard in adoption in the mainstream market. Yeah, I, I think that I'm surprised it took YouTube this long to get this far with live, because live is well established and has been there, you know, since Justin TV and other live stream and such. But I, I, you know, I look at it this way: I don't think that. And this could be heresy. I could get bumped off. I don't think Twit and Twig are shows so much as they are conversations. 
And no, that's I don't why think that's heresy does at matter. all. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly why people like it. Right, and so and so the chat room, which by the way says that Leo won it on, and I don't know if they're joking, but that there's some question of the copyright takedowns when we put on Glee or something. I guess I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't understand what the, the chat room is bragging about being ahead of us, and then, as well they should, but I'm not sure what that means. Uh, but but I, you know, I, I think that Joel, you're right in terms of things like entertainment programming. Live doesn't matter. Being on the schedule, put it that way, doesn't matter. But in terms yeah. of having a conversation, being able to Look at the um, uh, the chat room here, and uh, seeing that they're saying "woohoo," they're ahead of us. Yeah, you are. Uh, uh, is is part of the joy of it, and and the number of people. I don't know. Do you have any idea, Tom, what the what the proportion is of people who watch uh, Twit and Twig and such and your show live versus uh, delayed? Yeah, it's a, the smallest portion watch live. Uh, how the, big a portion the, the next, uh, I'd, you know, I don't really know, but I'd, I'd say it's like an, uh, a fiftieth, maybe roughly. Oh, really? That's small. Oh, okay. uh, and then, and then the next smallest portion watch video, and then the largest portion still watch audio. Still, or still listen yeah, to audio. Watch audio. Uh, <laughs> they just watch those little lines yeah, that's, jumping that's up and down. That's our people. They just stare. They stare at, at the screen. Uh, because because audio it. is more convenient, uh, yeah. as a, especially as a podcast, even as live. Uh, you can you can put it on in your car now with 3G coverage getting better. You can I I listened to uh, Windows Weekly live streaming audio on my way up to the cottage today. Twenty minute drive, never lost the signal once. Uh, so that, you know I think I think in some ways audio is here now, and that's what people are using. Video is coming next. That is that is where it's going, and and we're still trying to figure out how best people access it. I can shed some light on the whole YouTube takedown notice thing. Uh, every time we show a clip. On Twit or often on frame rate, uh, that is a copyrighted video, but it's fair use. We're either showing it in a news context or it's a trailer for a movie. Uh, we run this risk of, of running into an automatic takedown. So we can't promise that we're never going to run afoul of YouTube's algorithm. We can say, look, we'll never actually infringe because we think it's fair use because of, because of news gathering and we know what we're doing. Uh, but, but we've had plenty of shows taken down by this algorithm that you then have to go file a counter notice and have it reinstalled. It's easier, frankly, to just re-upload the episode and then somebody doesn't That's reject really it. interesting because yeah. that, that affects YouTube in terms of having relationships with any news organization. And I call Twit and Twig a news organization. Yeah, exactly, because uh, fair use laws are different regarding news and ephemeral, like live, than they are for something that's going to be archived or something that's done for entertainment purposes. I wouldn't be surprised if part of the delay in implementing it um, is is also related to, to kind of the takedown issue, because what do you do if somebody starts doing something vulgar, live streaming what do you do if if yeah somebody starts live streaming content you know they just go into a movie theater and and are and are uh live streaming the the movie you know directly through youtube um i think there is probably a lot of like uh legal wrangling and and ad partner wrangling that had to happen behind the scenes to to make this happen and i think that's part of the reason it's being uh tiptoed out is that they know i mean they no nobody that's a a guaranteed partner of youtube is going to do anything heinous in their live stream and that kind of you know gets everybody used to it it gets the advertisers to calm down and get comfortable with it and then they can you know they can move forward from there all right, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. We've got a lot of other stories uh, to cover before we wrap up here, but I want to thank uh, one of our sponsors, Hover. 
Com, easy way to register a domain name. If you've got a domain name you've been looking for, or maybe a domain name that you just want to point to a friend of yours that says, myfriendsucks.com. doesn't really matter what it's for. It's simple to go to hover.com and register a domain name. You don't have to go through a bunch of check boxes. You're not going to be sold a ton of services. They focus on making it easy to register and manage your domains. And they have a no-hold policy for customer service. If you do run into a problem, you don't have to feel like you're at wit's end. Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, when you call, you get a live person. No questions asked. They won't put you on hold. They won't make you listen to horrible hold music. And Hover is offering Twit audience members free domain name transfer right now. They have a concierge service where, you know, the, the transferring is fairly easy and they've got videos that show you how to do it. Uh, but they will, for a $25 fee, do all the work for you to transfer it from your own registrar. However, you don't have to pay that $25 fee if you're a Twit member. Uh, you go to twig.hover.com and use the offer code TWIG and they will, uh, they'll allow you to use that transfer concierge service absolutely free. Get all of your domain names over on Hover. The transfer itself is $10 per domain and extends the domain one year beyond its current registration date. Uh, that's for the Twit audience alone. Hover will handle that whole hassle of the transfer and get you on an easier way to manage your domain names. To get Hover's free transfer concierge service, call customer service number listed on their website and tell them you're a listener to Twit. And if you need a new domain, you get 10% off. Go to twig.hover.com and use the offer code TWIG. We thank Hover for their support of This Week in Google. A lot more Google news to come through. Uh, yesterday, HTC announced a new Android handset. We've known it under the code name Pyramid. It's the Sensation 4G dual-core 1.2 gigahertz Snapdragon processor. Sa same body, actually, as the HTC Evo 3D. This is not 3D, however. It's going to come with the HTC Sense UI 3.0. 8-megapixel rear camera, really emphasizing video. They've got this Netflix-like video service they're going to put on it called HTC Watch. does 30 frames per second video, 1080p resolution. Uh, we're going to get it in the United States in summer on T-Mobile, uh, which, by the way, folks, T-Mobile, still independent till at least 2012, if not later. AT&T can't acquire them until the earliest 2012. So T-Mobile is at least independent for another six months or so. Uh, and uh, launching in the UK, Germany, and the rest of HTC's key European markets in mid-May. They get it a little earlier. In fact, Vodafone gets a, an exclusive on it for a couple weeks right after that mid-May launch date. You guys uh, excited at all about the, uh, the sensation? Is it a sensation for you? Yeah, the thing the thing that I got the most excited about was the lock screen uh, update, which I which I'm not sure if this is part of this part of Sense 3.0 or not. But it's got this really cool shortcut where, and this is just this is the type of thing that makes me really happy because I'm just a software gal and I love shortcuts. Um, <laughs> to unlock your screen, if you you know when you when you go to unlock your phone, you you need to do something, right? You're gonna check your email or 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 search search Google or make a phone call. So there's a list of apps on your lock screen. So your phone is is locked, but there are apps there. So to unlock it, you grab the app that you want to use and drop it onto the unlock thing and it just it launches it automatically right so it takes out the, the two so normally it's two steps unlock launch and and reduces it to one so i really like that yeah it makes a lot of sense I mean, it's just a tiny little thing but i was like oh that's great and i want it now and that should be in core core android but you know netflix not being on android is such a huge thing yes. it's such a huge problem uh so you know this htc watch is cool i still just want netflix <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there's a big hole there, and so HTC Watch makes sense that someone else would kind of jump in and say, "Hey, we've got we've got streaming; you can watch your TV shows on Android." But I, I just I don't know what Netflix is waiting for. It's a DRM issue, right? But I don't understand what the issue really is. Does anybody? 
They have the, a particular DRM implementation that they need the Android operating system to support. Jill, do you know more about it than that? I, I mean, all I know is that uh, on the web side of things, it's all based out of Silverlight, so there's not good Silverlight support for uh, for Android, obviously. Um, but uh, by the same token, there's not good Silverlight support for iOS either. So it seems to me like it's uh, either a licensing deal because you have to realize that any of these media companies, which is the same reason that HTC Watch platform is just going to you know, probably crash and burn, is that when Netflix makes any move uh, or Hulu or any of these guys make, make a move, they have to get sign off from a million different content partners on almost everything. Uh, and so I would imagine it's just some weird holdup in the licensing fees uh, for Android. Uh, but technically, Technologically, there's no reason they couldn't do it on Android if they really, you know, put their mind to it. They could, they could, they could transcode everything on the back end and use a different DRM server just for, uh, or a different DRM service uh, just for Android if they needed to. I mean, Netflix is on Google TV right now. Google TV is a, a build of Android, right? So this is, this is like, I mean, technically, it's absolutely possible. I use it on my Google TV all the time. Joshua Caleb in the chat room th says he thinks it's, it's a DRM on the chip that Netflix requires. And that, that that's what's holding it up. And that the chip for the iPhone and the iPad both process that DRM. I know Netflix has some pretty restrictive and weird DRM that they do, which is one of the reasons they've been able to strike as many deals as they have, yes. as many licensing deals, uh, is because it makes the industry feel comfortable. Hmm. I was not aware of there being any sort of hardware DRM aspect to the Netflix stuff, but now I'm super curious. So yeah, me too. I, I, yeah, I, 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 that... That would that would make a lot of sense, and uh, but I, I do think it's uh, actually I don't even know. Like I, I just I I find myself not using Netflix and things like that as much on mobile on phones as I normally would. But for the Android uh, tablet market, I think it's a real bummer because watching watching TV on an iPad uh, or watching Netflix or Hulu on an iPad is is like one of the best things ever. Uh, so yeah, they need to get it fixed. Good news for Sprint fans. Google says Android carrier billing will be available for Sprint. It'll roll out slowly to uh, different folks. You may not see it right away, but uh, this puts them now on what? AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile uh, for, for carrier billing. So that makes it easier when you're in the Android marketplace to just uh, spend lots of money without realizing it. <laughs> <laughs> this is... This, this is Carrier billing is one thing that people have required to say that the Android marketplace needs to have it easier to billing to bill you to take off because it needs to be easier to buy stuff. But is that the only thing, Gina? Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure actually. So carrier billing billing is just a, is just e easier way for someone to to purchase something like through the their carrier versus like having a Google checkout account. So this would would this enable the Andro Android market to use carrier bill billing? Yeah, the carrier bill, as I understand it, that when you're on a Sprint phone now, you'll be able to go to the Android marketplace, and, and when you check out, it'll give you the normal uh, uh, options as well as a Sprint logo, and then you, right. cl you just cl click that Sprint logo, and it gets billed to your, it gets put on your bill. Yes, I think that this is super important, right? Because I know people who are like, I don't buy apps because I just haven't given Google my credit card yet, right? But you've already given your carrier a credit card, so that makes sense. It's, it's an easy way to buy stuff. And then this is, this is like, has to be top priority and kind of is top priority for the Android folks. It's like making it easier for people to hand, hand their money over. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. Just circling back real quick, uh, Joshua Caleb sent a link to the Engadget story about Qualcomm saying future Android devices with Snapdragon should be able to support the DRM that Netflix requires. They said that at Mobile World Congress earlier this year. 
So they they have they have some crazy uh, DRM requirements for watch instantly. Russia backing down on banning Gmail. They had said at the end of last week... Or Skype, wasn't it? Yeah, that, well, Gmail and Skype and Hotmail, oh, oh. all of them. Uh, Russia's Federal Security Service uh, had threatened on Friday to call for a ban on Skype, Gmail, and Hotmail. Uh, the uh, uncontrollable use of such services can lead to a major threat to Russia's security, Andreyevskin <laughs> reportedly said at a government meeting. Uh, he proposed a ban on them. Uh, but uh, on Saturday, uh, the Federal Security Bureau backed down and said it had no plans to try and control Skype, Gmail, or Hotmail. Uh, this is this just a this is just a a weirdness of Russia, isn't it? It's not it's not something that that Gmail is going to be facing or Skype or anybody uh, worldwide. It's not like a BlackBerry situation. We're going to see a bunch of people starting to consider this, are we? Well, is it? That's what I'm asking. I don't know. <laughs> I think the more authoritarian a government, the better chance that they're going to try to get into uh, interfering with communication. And, yeah. you know, Russia is about... Russia does an excellent job of giving uh, the appearance of being a democracy, uh, maybe to people who don't give it just the most cursory look. But, uh, yeah, I think this is just, you know, weird power struggle stuff that Russia's been doing for the last 10, 15 years. And, and so it doesn't... I don't think it's portends a trend among other European countries or anything like that, but for uh, oligarchies and, and for, uh, you know, poorly, poorly, not, uh, poorly run, not very free countries, we're going to see more uh, of that happening basically uh, until they become free. Another battle also going on. Microsoft claims that Google's apps for government do not have valid certification under the Federal Information Security Management Act. This is a tiny little battle uh, that, that a, lot, a lot of people aren't really paying a lot of attention to. But essentially, uh, Google is going after Microsoft for government contracts. It's a huge revenue source, and Microsoft is fighting them tooth and nail. Microsoft, from what I understand from the things I've read, had a pretty easy way. They would come in, they'd say, here's our latest progress uh, pro project. The government would rubber stamp it. They'd get the contract. And with Google coming in, they've been, they've been fighting and fighting to keep them out. Uh, Google does have what's called FISMA certification, Federal Information Security Management certification, uh, but they have it for Google Apps, not a separate product called Google Apps for Government. Well, apparently, this this has to do with the the fact that Google is just not as experienced in the ways of Washington. Uh, well, the other question I have relevant to the theme of the show, obviously, this is Microsoft going after Google. That's yeah. the whole point. But is it also anti-cloud? Well, you know, that's a really good question because Microsoft is pushing their cloud services too. I don't know specifically whether they're pushing them to the government as well, but I'm sure right. they will. Uh, it, I don't get the sense that this is the government saying, no, we, you know, or Microsoft saying you don't want to trust the cloud uh, yet. I'm sure that's, that's, in their, that's in their Rolodex of, of things to object to. Once the, you know, what the, right now they're just saying Google isn't licensed. They lied. They said they had certification. They don't. Google's like, we thought we did. All I know is that I really, really want Google Apps for government myself. Like, now that I know there's a government class Google app, like, I feel really jealous. Like, my tax, my tax dollars are paying for that. I should have government class Gmail. <laughs> Isn't Google Apps for government just a subset of regular Google Apps? I mean, this just sounds like such a stupid nitpicking. Yeah. I mean, really. I'm sure it's just locked down to a certain, you know, because the government has all those internal standards that every application has to reach. So I'm sure that that's basically just the Google Apps that are probably are 
almost exactly identical, but that have gone down the checklist of things that the government requires. So, right. yeah, I mean, maybe tech, it, it sounds like a technicality, like Microsoft has them on a technicality, but it's also something that they should be able to fix relatively quickly, uh, that Google should be able to fix re relatively quickly. Uh, finally, Google just acquired Push Life, a company that developed music apps for uh, Android and BlackBerry. A lot of sites are speculating Google will use the technology to push music to your phone. Push Life has now said, we're, we've been bought. We're not, we're not doing anything anymore. Uh, and it's getting integrated into Google Canada, apparently, as well. Is, is this significant for the, for the Google Music rumors? Anybody? It's, it doesn't feel... I mean, the tech behind music for Google Music is... Uh, th this is this is more of along the lines of like a patent acquisition. I mean, I, I'm not saying specifically because I'm not. I've used some of the Good Life stuff, but I'm not familiar with like what you know what if any patents they hold. But there's no there's nothing stopping Google of all the companies to go to a completely cloud based uh, sort of situation. But Google, I don't think has quite had the stones to fight the content side of things. Um, which is why I was so proud of Amazon last week uh, saying, uh, we're going to do our cloud music implementation, but we're going to do it by just, you know, the same thing that mp3.com did a few years ago with the locker ID, our locker idea. And you saw all the quotes from the music industry all, you know, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're, we're so offended that they didn't have this conversation with us. Uh, whereas Amazon's position is essentially saying, well, we just don't think you legally even has a, 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 a leg to stand on. And um, I feel like Google and Apple both are acquiring companies and setting up all of these play, uh, pieces together for them to be able to make that big push, um, but for whatever reason have still been really timid. So this one, yeah, I'm sure it's part of the whole Google Music uh, idea, but uh, there's, there's you know, half a dozen companies that have been brought together before this and they still haven't pulled the trigger, so it's impossible to know. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with Gina's tip, Jarvis's number, and uh, my tool. But first, uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Netflix. We were just talking about them. Uh, watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC or Mac or, uh, instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about a business day. You can also stream them if you've got an Xbox, a Nintendo Wii, or a PS3. You can stream them right to your TV. There's plenty of other ways. We talked about Google TV as a way to stream Netflix to your television, Apple TV. Uh, there's all kinds of ways you can watch Netflix streaming live on your television. Uh, Gina, what's the, what's the last movie you watched on Netflix? I'm actually in the midst of watching Damages right now, which started airing in like 2007, and it's a fantastic show, Glenn Close, and I'm just completely, it's like, when, when can I finish work so I can watch the next episode of Damages? <laughs> Love Netflix. I didn't realize they're a sponsor. I mean, I, the reason why I was bitching about it not being on Android is because I, I have a Zoom and I want to watch, watch Damages on my Zoom through Netflix. Right, right. Um, and, and Joel, you're right. Watch, watching it on, on a tablet is, is really nice. It's a, it's a really convenient way. I do it... Uh, a lot uh, just in the bedroom, even though we have a television, it's just con more convenient. I've got the tablet, and I just pop it up, Netflix on my iPad, watch some episodes of Firefly or something. Yeah, Firefly. Uh, I admitted on the last show that I don't use Netflix, which appalled people, and I said on the last show before they were a sponsor that I'm going to use Netflix now because I think it's great what they're doing with bringing series on, and they're going to compete and break up with the hegemony of the old networks, and that's a good thing. Well, well, you I have get, one question here. Yes. Does Twig get a, um, a code for Netflix, or is that just a Twit code? It's just a Twit code, but it still gives okay. you a free trial, Jeff. 
I just want credit for it. Uh, Netflix.com <laughs> slash twit. It, it, the credit is shared across the entire network. Okay, I will be generous. Yes. You're, I know you're into social and sharing, right? No, I'm not. No, yeah, okay, never mind. Netflix.com slash twit, though. That's the place to go. Uh, sign up for a free trial. Instantly watch this movie, uh, the, the, the Damages series, if you want, or Firefly. Or choose from thousands of TV episodes and other movies when you register. And we thank them for their support of This Week in Google. Let's uh, move on to the tip. Gina, you, got, you, you alluded to it earlier in the show. Uh, it's a Gmail tip. Yeah, Gmail has uh, fixed a couple of annoying things in it. And uh, uh, the one thing that I was super happy about is this. Um, so by default, Gmail auto-saves anybody that you email. Gmail auto-saves that person as one of your contacts. And, you know, that's pretty handy unless you have a job like ours where you email with a lot of folks, you know, maybe once or twice, and they're saved in your contacts forever. So your contacts just sort of like balloon out of control. And oh, then you're yeah. syncing your contacts to your phone. And you're like, who's this person that I emailed five years ago once, you know, about something. So you can now turn that off and sort of have more control of your contacts and have a cleaner, decluttered contacts list. You go into Gmail's uh, settings. There's an area that is labeled uh, create contacts for autosave. You can say, when I send a message to a new person, add them to my contacts, and that's how it works automatically. And then Gmail will autocomplete for you when you send a message to them in the future. Or you can just say, I'll add contacts myself and turn it off. That's, that's really useful. I, I, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of that because I have that problem that you're talking about where I just, you know, I, I email with so many different people out of, out of Gmail, not always from a Gmail account. But it all starts to, mm -hmm. to, to build up in there. So I, mm -hmm. I want it to do that because I want it to be able to remember those email addresses, but I want a better way to manage it. That's great. Yep. I'm now part of an extended family with another Joel Johnson who isn't me because I think his Gmail is like Joel something Johnson. Oh, no. So, I have two. That's so funny. Yeah. It got handed off, so like you know, I and he's like a preacher or something. So I get all these you know invitations like, oh, I loved your sermon last Sunday, and I'm like, you know, you're welcome. Like I did my best, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it would be nice if I could somehow go in and remove all those autocompletes from the people that have them that don't know me. But that's that's asking a little much right now. Yeah, I, the same thing happened to me. I got into somebody's autocomplete, and I get these random messages from someone in Louisiana, you know, who who is sure that I'm in his family. I should I should probably let him know that I'm not. I just yeah. mute the conversations. I can't wait for one of the other. There's one Jeff Jarvis who is a famous uh, uh, jazz musician, but there's another Jeff Jarvis recently discovered who is honest to God an Elvis impersonator. Nice. Wow. I'm dying to get confused with him. Yes. Elvis Jarvis. I ate nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> Don't That's be just your alter ego. That's your Duke Silver alter ego. That night you go out and you're a Elvis impersonating jazz player. That's a great. It's can... a great new way to hide an alter ego. Now you say, "Oh no, that's it not. Is. That's not my. That's not me. That's a different Jeff Jarvis." Don't you think I look good in white satin? <laughs> I always have. <laughs> you're a knight in white satin, Jeff. <laughs> uh, and let's move on to your number. What do you got for us today? Okay, the number the number this week is 5 to 15. That is the percentage of visits uh, falling in the New York Times since it implemented its meter, according to Hitwise. And, uh, you know, more troubling for them should be that, according to Hitwise, the page views fell between 11 and 30%. They analyzed 12 days after the meter to a 12-day period before the meter and found this. You know, the big question is that the, the Times has said again and again that, that most people, the vast majority of people, would never hit the, the paywall, which is a good news, bad news thing for them. Because the truth is that if the vast majority of the people never look at more than 20 pages of the Times in a month, 
that shows a pretty low engagement rate versus, um, let's say, Facebook. Most newspaper sites I know get 12 page views per user per month on average. Facebook gets that every day. And that says something about the engagement of newspapers. But in any case, the question is, who is the Times losing and why? Is it people who hit the wall and say, never mind, and go elsewhere? Is it people who are now afraid they're going to hit the wall and so they've started looking elsewhere and the Times has trained them in new habits? We don't know enough yet. But uh, I don't think that's a great number, losing 15% of visits just because of the threat of the paywall. And if those visits are from the people who come most often, then that's very harmful to the Times because they cause that small number cause the vast majority of traffic on the Times site, and they're the ones who justify the premium ad rates. So we'll see where this goes. Yeah, and the next number I want to see, which is one you probably won't hear from the New York Times, is what the revenue has done. At least you won't yeah. hear it until the next earnings call. Um, and and, and they, even then, they may try to fudge what's actually going on. But if they if they have a 5 to 15% drop and the revenue goes through the roof, then... You know, that's great. It worked. That's what they wanted. Uh, it's all about them raising that revenue line. But uh, well, what they have to do is they have to both keep expanding advertising at the same time they get the uh, paywall advertiser, the meter advertiser right. rate from, con from consumers. And so we'll see where it goes. I mean, I, I like the Times. I love the Times. I pay for the Times. I'm rooting for them to win. Uh, but I think that if, if any other newspaper thinks they can do this, they can't. Only the Times could do it, and it's still very much up in the air as whether the Times can. All right. Uh, I've got a uh, tool. I've got two, actually. Somebody in the chat room, and I, and I apologize for not remembering your name, pointed out that the new uh, Twit app for Android is out. Uh, so you can, you can watch Twit uh, on Android uh, up to date. Uh, but my tool is Instapaper. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about it on Twig before or not, but Instapaper.com. Uh, is, is a place where you can easily save things to read later. You put a read later button in your browser uh, tag. I've got one in Chrome. I've also got one in Firefox. And when I run across an article, because I'm reading so many things every day to prepare for tech news today, I'll run across these articles where I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. It's really in-depth. Maybe it's a scientific article or a, a philosophical article. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm wanting to read it, but I don't have time. I click it, read later. And then I can not only read it at instapaper.com, but there's apps for your phone, for your tablet, uh, that you can, at your leisure, pull it up. It gives you a list of all the things you've marked read later. It's very simple. Uh, you know, you might think, well, it's kind of like delicious. But it, it works particularly well for this sort of thing where you're like, I just don't have time to, to get to this right now. But I want to sink my teeth on it in it when I have more time. Uh, so so I've, I've used them to great effect in that particular way, instapaper.com. Do you guys use it at all? It's a great app. It, yeah. Great app. I, I recommend uh, InstaFetch on Android. I, uh, I, it seemed kind of serendipitous because uh, the last time I was on, everybody was making fun of me for uh, defending the iPad as a tablet, but actually having just sold mine. And I just got the email today, right before I came on, that Apple has shipped my, my iPad to from, <laughs> from Hong Kong. So, and actually, and the, the Instapaper is one of the main things that I do on my iPad because there's something about, and I mean, it's not in, uh, intrinsic to the iPad. It could be any tablet, but there's the idea of like getting home. I don't want to get online yet. I don't want to like be at my computer. And I use my iPad a lot for reading. And I'll just pick it up and, yeah, like I'll fire up Instapaper and grab, you know. It's, it, I kind of treat it like I do podcasts, like these things that I want to sit down and spend an hour with or so uh, and, and kind of give a little more time. Uh, yeah, I think Instapaper is great. 
All right, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, Joel Johnson, editorial director at Kotaku.com. Let folks know uh, what's going on and what they can look forward to from you there. Uh, video games, mostly. Uh, I actually, uh, we're getting ready to do some really fun stuff at Kotaku. That, that uh, We have E3 coming up, which we're doing a lot of planning for that. Um, I, I, a lot of it is sort of nebulous right now, but I, I, I can definitely say uh, I've been really pleased. I, sometimes you, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of different sites, and I, and I stepped into a site that had a really strong team and a lot of really good editors. So we're trying to figure out how to blow it out and, and do even more in-depth coverage and try to cover video games in a way that maybe uh, wouldn't be the traditional way that they've always been covered with just straight-ahead reviews and previews, try to take a little more cultural, thinky angle on things. So, uh, yeah, come check us out. We cool. love that. Sounds good. Just right? as Google surprises you, you will surprise us. <laughs> there we go. And there goes Jeff Jarvis, buzzmachine.com. Any, any notes uh, to leave people with? No. Okay. Good well, to see you again, man. I've said everything I have to say. That's, There's I'm nothing capped. more left. No. Gina Trapani, <laughs> smarterware.org. I'm looking through my ThinkUp stats right now. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we are looking for, we're always looking for contributors, developers, documentation writers uh, at ThinkUp. Uh, it's thinkupapp.com. We're doing a mentor program this summer for young programmers who want to get some in, uh, experience working in open source. So come check us out. And, uh, yeah, just install it and run it if you're, if you're on the Twitters or the Facebook. One of my favorite parts app. is the most retweeted. I like to... to awesome. Because that, that tells me, you know, what stuff I said that was actually penetrating people's minds and they wanted to pass around. Cool, cool. My number two most retweeted right now is something from uh, the Oscars night, though. That's, that's, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's a while ago. Come on, Tom. Got to keep it fresh. I know. All right. <laughs> See, that's what it does. Gets, gets me up to date. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, uh, for watching This Week in Google. Leo will be back next week. Uh, he is at NAB, and uh, you can catch our coverage there at the Twit Specials. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll see you next time on This Week in Google.